Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. This is uh, probably my, if I have to pick, this is probably my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, This has been so meaningful to me, and I love the message translation, the message translation written by uh, Eugene Peterson a number of years ago. And, uh, and his heart in writing it was to, to get as close and accurate to the original, uh, the original text as possible using modern language. And I remember my first journey through the message. It really was instrumental in helping me as a teenager read the Bible. And uh, I remember I was 18 years old. I helped some friends of mine start a coffee cart at a mall. And that mall was the other mall. It was, you know, no offense to anyone who works at Northgate. It was Northgate, uh, but it wasn't at Northgate. This was in, in North Carolina, but uh, one similar. It was the other mall. And so there was tumbleweeds, and not only, it wasn't terribly, terribly busy. So I had a lot of time to, to do two things. I would put up a little sign that says, I'll be back in a minute, and I'd walk down to the arcade and play video games. And, uh, and then I would also read my message translation of the Bible, and I fell in love with it. So the message has always been near and dear to my heart, and it's beautiful. And I love the way that uh, it, it phrases these very powerful, important verses in Matthew 11. So verses 28 through 30, this is what it says. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on you or ill-fitting. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is absolutely beautiful. It is my heart and my prayer that we all all respond to that invitation with a big yes, please. Uh, I was making the graphic for this series, and uh, as we talked about last week, a lot of what we do through the seven-week journey, uh, we like to capture a little bit of nostalgia, and I I realize it's very specific nostalgia because if you didn't grow up in the 80s and the 90s, you're like, I don't don't get it, but uh, for me, it's nostalgic, and and the reason, the heart behind that is because uh, the, the 80s and 90s represents a time when summer was pretty sacred. It was like this extended Sabbath where we just kind of lived in a place of rest and fun and adventure and peace, and it was amazing. And so I love the the chance to kind of recapture some of that, some of what we had as kids during summertime, the carefree nature of it, because I think that's a lot of what is being offered by Jesus in this invitation is is this, this life of Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath to live in a place of rest, to live in a place of peace. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so anyway, uh, when I was putting together this, this message series, I was like, how do I really convey this beautiful phrase, the rhythms of grace in an 80s context? And so what came to mind was the boom box. And uh, so we, we had the boom box and uh, oh, well, there it is right above John Cusack's head. And so and in fact, this might be the very image that I had in mind uh, when I was coming up with this, uh, this graphic. Have you guys seen the movie Say Anything? With one of my favorite actors of all times, John Cusack is super cool. And uh, I love this movie. 
and, uh, and I, I wanted to kind of put this image in front of you, uh, John Cusack holding this up, and uh, of course he was holding it outside of Ioni Sky's window, and the boombox was playing The Beautiful In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, which is just such one of my favorite songs ever. And I remember I was sitting at Starbucks uh, over on Brainerd Road one day, and In Your Eyes came on the uh, Starbucks radio, and I held my, my phone over my head like it was a boombox, and the barista gave me a free coffee for my creativity and entertainment. So uh, it's always a gift to be in the moment. So, uh, but I love this image. I love this idea. And, and to, to kind of use a silly metaphor, every single one of us has a tiny little John Cusack standing outside of the window of our hearts holding up a boombox. We all have a little John Cusack holding a boombox outside of the, the windows of our heart, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. And it's a silly analogy, but it makes sense to me, and it fits into the whole 80s thing. So uh, uh, here's the idea. There are these two conflicting, coexisting soundtracks that are going on at the same time always. And so the variable is, uh, is the soundtrack of our heart and our life is, is it the, this, this beautiful music that is blaring, that is the music of heaven, that is in your eyes by Peter Gabriel, and uh, it is beautiful, it is amazing, and it is the soundtrack of heaven, or are we sinking our lives and in the rhythm of this other, more annoying, more abrasive soundtrack of this world, and I can't think of, let's say, uh, let's pick a, an annoying song. Instead of In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, it's uh, Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Bega, which might be the most annoying song. Or, or it's, it's, it's Photograph by uh, Nickelback. It's a really, just pick whatever, insert whatever annoying song you hate that you always turn the radio off when it comes on. That is the, the soundtrack of this world. And like we said last week, everything has a rhythm uh, and, and we sync ourselves. We end up just kind of syncing with the rhythms that we are in tune with. And next week, we're going to have a great conversation about how to truly tune our hearts. I love Come Thou Founts, my favorite hymn, Tune Our Hearts to Sing Thy Grace. How do we really tune our hearts to the rhythm of grace? And uh, we'll get more into that next week. But today, I just want to talk about these two different soundtracks, these two conflicting soundtracks, and try my best to give some definition to what we're talking about with these two soundtracks. So if you look at John chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 17. If you have a Bible, great. If not, we're going to put it up on the screen for you to follow along. But this is, this is what the book of John says in chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Uh, this is a description of the arrival of Christ. And, and so this is how it goes. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, he saw, and we saw His glory... Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John uh, testified, this is John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, more accurately. Uh, John testified about him, about Jesus, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom he, I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. And here's the contrast. For the law 
was given through Moses. That's on one hand. Grace and truth were realized. The word realized is, the the original word here is genomai, which means came into existence. Uh, So in other words, grace and truth were not previously here. Uh, they, they, they showed up, they came into existence, they were, they were discovered and experienced first in the person of Christ. And so that's his gift to us. Um, during the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous message ever preached, which was uh, believed to be roughly 15 minutes, um, and so I, I'm, I'm probably going to surpass 15 minutes, but I'm doing my best to get close, uh, Jesus declares that he didn't come in order to do away with or cancel out the, the law of Moses. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to do away with it. I came instead to fulfill it, to bring it to a conclusion. And, uh, and then Hebrews chapter 10, this is one, another one of my favorite verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. Uh, this is, if you ever wonder, what is, what is God's will? For Jesus, what was God's will? He's, this, is, this is God's will for Jesus right here. Behold, I've come to do your will. That's Christ. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. One last scripture. This is a couple of verses or a couple of chapters later after the one we just read. Hebrews 13, 9. Uh, this is the message translation again. Do not be lured away from him, from Jesus, by the latest speculations about him. The grace of Christ is the only good ground for life. It is the only good ground for life. So uh, all of this speaks to the idea that before Jesus arrived on the scene, the Word became flesh. Uh, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. The, 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 really, the, the message of the gospel is contrary to popular belief, is not how us humans can become like Jesus. The message of the gospel is the good news that Jesus became like us. Uh, that is the good news and that is the central focus of the, Jesus, of the gospel of Jesus is not that we have to go up because we never can. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Only those with perfectly clean hands, perfectly pure hearts, which just canceled out every one of us. I know you people. It's not talking about you. Uh, you know me. You definitely know it's not talking about me. Uh, we could never, ever go up. So Jesus came down. And so that's the central focus of the gospel. And, and why did Jesus, why did the word become flesh? To do the will of God, which was to fulfill the old, and bring forth the new. To fulfill the old covenant, the law of Moses, the Bible says that uh, here in uh, John chapter 1, that the law was given through Moses, but on the other side of the equation, grace and truth were realized in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard people say this. I've been a part of these arguments where people would say, Chris, you got to balance grace with truth. It's the counterweight of grace because you can get wacky and crazy with that grace stuff. You, get, you, you go off the deep end with grace, and so you've got to counterweight it with truth. So grace is the, the uh, teenager, 
and then, and then truth is the, uh, the more sensible older sibling, right? But that is to say, you, you have to make sure to balance Jesus with Jesus. So uh, people take the word truth as if it means what the law means. Truth would be the law, behavior modification. It would be moralism and rules and standards. But the law was over here with Moses. Grace and truth. Now, truth is the reality of the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ. The truth. It is true north. Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Truth is not our better judgment. Truth is Jesus in the same way that grace is Jesus. And so we've we've got to really understand what's being said here. The law, that is life by the law. That is living up to standards and expectations that ultimately we can never meet versus this life of grace and living in the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. That is Christ has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. So these are the two soundtracks that we are always going on. And just for the record, I know that we relegate this idea of the law, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. We relegate that to church, to religion, and we think that that's kind of the way religious people think. And then outside of church, just kind of out there in the secular world, in the rest of the world, they don't subscribe to that. They're, they're living by another soundtrack. And, but I would, I would actually beg to differ. I think the law is the law of the land. And we live by the law, and that is the way the world works. That is the way that the systems of the world work. They abide by this idea of, you can call it karma. You can call it uh, living by your own set of rules. But it all comes down to this. Meeting a certain expectation, raising a standard, proving yourself before whoever the judge is, establishing yourself being your own man or woman, it is all about you becoming a greater version of you. So it's life centered on, consumed by self. And the law is in the hearts of every person, whether they are religious or they are not. The grace of God is something that is completely different. Absolutely, completely different. We no longer Uh, we no longer relate to God in accordance to the law because Jesus fulfilled that commandment. That is not our soundtrack. That is not the music that we dance to. Uh, That is the old covenant. And so our entire relationship is built with God, is built on the new covenant, on grace. And so now we are free to tune our hearts to this new soundtrack, these new rhythms of grace. That's how Matthew 11 describes it, the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, what is grace? Here's the best definition that I've ever come across, and it it is this. Grace is unconditional love and acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. I'm going to read that again. It is, grace is unconditional love and acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Grace by its very definition, is unearned. It is unearned. It is unearnable. It is undeserved. It is unmerited. So in a world of merit and demerit, 
in a world of, of, of people always trying to earn and secure for themselves what they feel like they deserve, grace is for those who don't deserve it. In fact, if it's, if it's earned and deserved, it is not grace. It's reward. And so the, the actual uh, the rhythms of grace that we're talking about are the rhythm, rhythms of unconditional love and acceptance given to people who can't earn it. It's good news for people who can't get it together. It's not reward for people who can do good and try hard and, and level up. It is, it is good news and a gift to people who understand and recognize that they can't do that. And so it sounds really, really good to the people who know they're not that good. But if you look at the prodigal son story, and uh, so grace is great news to the prodigal. But if you're the older brother type, if you're the guy who's got it all together, if you're the self-made man and you spend a lot of your time judging and critiquing others for not being as together or as competent or as clean as, as you are, then grace is a get-out-of-jail-free card for the lazy. Suddenly, grace ceases to be good news. And then it's just a giant... Uh, it's a giant annoyance. It's a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal for those who have their acts together. Brennan Manning, uh, who is one of my, my great inspirations, uh, he's probably one of my favorite authors. He's written some of my favorite books. In fact, Ragamuffin Gospel, should, I think, should be required reading for anyone who's a Christian. It is brilliant. And he called grace, uh, he described it this way, vulgar grace. He said it offends people. It is vulgar, which I think is an accurate description. Uh, I'm going to quote uh, another one of my favorite authors a couple times today, and uh, his name is Robert Capon. You've probably heard me quote him before. He was an Episcopal priest, and uh, just really, I mean, just one of the best communicators I've ever come across about this topic. And so uh, he had this great quote about grace. He says, uh, grace doesn't sell, you can hardly give it away, because it works only for losers, and no one wants to stand in their line. The world of winners will buy case lots of moral advice, grosses of guilt-edged prohibitions, skids of self-improvement techniques, and whole truckloads of transcendental hot air that will not buy free forgiveness because that threatens to let the the riffraff into the supper of the Lamb. Grace is deeply offensive because grace does what we fear. It takes all the advantages that we've accumulated, all the trophies that we've accumulated in our life, and it knocks them out of our hands and says, you're on the same playing field as that guy who is a total, complete, and total mess-up. You show up at the same place. That's, that's offensive. I've watched grace, the subject, the topic, the conversation of grace, infuriate Christians like nothing I've ever seen before. And the, the, the Christians that it infuriated were the Christians who have spent their life leveling up to become, if you play video games, 
the, the most advanced player in the game. And so now all of a sudden, they're, they're back at the starting point with the other guys that just started. It knocks us off our high horses, which is offensive. It's way more, it's way more uh, accessible to us to think of a world, the, the world of Christianity like this. There's people who get it, who are good at it. There's people who are new at it. We're trying to help them get good at it. And there's people who are hypocrites that don't do it right. And we love that kind of class system where we can judge and criticize and critique and say, that denomination is full of hot air. This denomination is almost right, but I have nailed it. I stuck the landing. If everyone would just think of God and live life the way that I live it, then this world would be a better place. Suddenly, we are the paragon of virtue, and we are the, we are the ones that everyone's supposed to, to emulate in order to become more like Christ. Just take a step back and consider the pride involved in that mentality. When the Apostle Paul had accomplished more than any of us could ever dream of in his life, and he said, I'm the worst. I'm the chief sinner. I'm the bottom of the barrel, and I don't deserve anything. And that's Paul. Grace is offensive because it, it, it removes our advantages and forces us to focus on only Christ and what He's done. Not what we've done and what we've earned along the way, but what Christ has done because of His love for us and freely given to all of us because we don't deserve it. We are free from the soundtrack of the world to live in the unforced rhythms of grace while the soundtrack of the world is, I would describe it this way, the forced regiments of the law. You're only as good as your last mistake. In fact, in this hypercritical world of social media, you are being criticized and judged and critiqued 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether you like it or not, and you're never that good because somebody can pick you apart and find something wrong with you, with your attitude, the way you said something, and they can, your performance can be dissected. And as, as good as we feel about ourselves, you put it in front of a panel of judges, it doesn't hold up. It's enslaving. It's crushing. It's the, it's the soundtrack of the world, and it's the force regiments of the law, and no wonder people feel low, Depression is rampant. No wonder people feel underneath it. Because the weight of this world is unsustainable. Grace upends that. But the bad news is, grace is a hard sell. It's not natural. It's alien I'm going to quote Robert Capon one more time. He wrote this. This is a mock prayer. So he writes this prayer. This would be an honest prayer if we're really deeply sincere and honest with how we feel as it relates to grace. And so this is what he writes. Lord, please restore to us the comfort of merit and demerit. 
Show us that there is at least something that we can do, that we can by even in a small way uh, keep some small earning power in our own hands. Tell us that in spite of all our nights of losing, there will be at least one redeeming card of our own. Lord, let your servants depart in the peace of their own proper responsibility. And if it's not too much to ask, Lord, send us to bed with a few shreds of self-respect upon which we can congratulate ourselves. But whatever you do, do not tell us about grace. Something, Give us something to do, anything. But spare us the indignity of this indiscriminate acceptance. This is an honest response to the grace of God. Deeply honest. Because in our world, it is, it is offensive for me to counteract the common saying, you can do anything you set your mind to. That's a lie. You can't. <laughs> I, I, I see it everywhere. Just believe in yourself and you can do anything. That is the worst advice ever given to anyone. We're, we're, the, the soundtrack of this world is demanding that we turn our eyes inward and that we ourselves become the Savior of our own existence. We can, you can do it. The law was given through Moses to show us once and for all, no, you cannot. You can't. There is, on our best day, the Bible says our righteousness is filthy rags. The standard of God is not pretty good or do your best. The standard of God is perfection. God is God. His standard is perfect. Can we meet that? Can we meet that standard? No. And God cannot water down His standard because if He did, He'd cease to be God. So he did something infinitely better. He fulfilled the standard for you. He came and lived a life that met the, the it is finished, that met the perfect standard of a perfect God perfectly so that you and I could be given and imputed to that perfection, that righteousness, that right standing. Jesus' performance is yours. Living in the unforced rhythms of grace means that we are free from living in the forced regiments of performing, of measuring up, of checking the boxes. It is finished means Christ's perfect performance is yours. It's given to you because of His grace for you. Now, we're free to live life unencumbered by the impossible weight and burden of perfection. Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 has a very specific target audience. Anyone and everyone who has reached a place in their life where they've realized it's impossible to carry this burden. It's crushing. Measuring up under the force regiments of the law is... It, 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 it crushes our souls. Even when things are going right, we're still not satisfied. We're still not happy. We're still not at rest because then you've got to keep it right. The pressure of being a perfect parent, a perfect spouse, a 
perfect friend, a perfect employee, and then put on that, on top of all that, being a perfect Christian, is too much for anybody. And anybody you think is pulling this thing off well, they are acting like they're pulling it off well. But believe me, on the inside, this is soul crushing. The, the only freedom from that burden is to turn off the music of this world and begin to sync our lives with the music of heaven. This is an invitation from Jesus himself for the tired, for the weary, for the heavy laden to stop, stop living up to the demand to prove themselves to anybody, impress others, establish themselves, keep up with the Joneses. It's an invitation to come, not to find rules or regulations or rituals, but to find rest. It's an invitation to rest. And I'll close with this. Jesus is inviting us to stop marching along under the force regiments of the law and he's inviting us to be swept up in the rhythms of grace. It's not a march. It's a dance. It's a beautiful dance that he leads. I love uh, I love the connection between thinking of the unforced rhythms of grace and thinking of music and thinking of dancing. And this story comes to mind every time. My wife, for my birthday, years and years ago, we, we were in Asheville, North Carolina, in the Biltmore State. It's this beautiful, uh, a beautiful tourist attraction. And uh, she had found out that Harry Connick Sr., Harry Connick Jr.'s dad, was doing a live concert outside the Biltmore State under the stars with this giant, you know, 20-piece band doing a tribute to Frank Sinatra, and uh, which I, I'm a huge Rat Pack fan. I love Frank Sinatra. I, know, I love Harry Connick Jr. I, I, I didn't know his dad, but he was fantastic. My wife... For my birthday, bought, bought us tickets, and we went, and it was perfect. And there was one moment that we, they had a dance floor outside, and uh, we were dancing to this beautiful music together under the stars, and I was like, life does not get better than this. That's the rhythms of grace. It is, it is a moment where you realize nothing gets better than this. Jesus wants to sweep you off your feet and love you in a way that you've never been loved and cared for before. And you can know Him and trust Him. And and you know what? That was a perfect setting. Let me go one step further to show you this works everywhere. One night, my wife and I were here at the event space uh, cleaning up after the messiest event in the history of the world where I, I truly believe they had a food fight. And uh, we were here, it was Saturday night, and I, I asked her to help me just because it was too much. I was stressed out. We were under a lot of weight. This business was new, and I introduced a, a complete new uh, burden to my own life at 45 years old. Here's a, here's a business to also run, 
in addition to a church that's been uh, hammered like every other church by COVID and all the other stuff that this world throws at churches. And so now it's suddenly, hey, I want you also to run this business so your church has a home and is not uh, without a place to meet. And uh, you're not going to get paid or anything like that. Just work another 40 some odd hours a week. It's great. Beautiful. Amazing. So I'm here and I feel underneath it. It's probably 1 a.m. We're mopping floors, trying to get ready on Saturday night so that church can happen Sunday morning. And, and I was playing music in the sound system in my favorite song. It's not, it's not uh, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. That's close. But just above that one is a song called It Never Entered My Mind, performed by Miles Davis. It is unbelievable. And, and it was playing, it was blasting in the speakers. I put down my mop and I walked into the ladies' room where my wife was cleaning the women's room. And I danced with my wife in the ladies' room. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, just, just go with it. <laughs> and we were smiling, we were laughing, and it was a memory I will never lose because everything was right with the world. I don't care if this place burned down. I love my wife. In this moment, it does not get better than this. Listen, we're going to go through some stuff. In fact, you might be right smack dab in the middle of some stuff. Living in the rhythms of grace is allowing Jesus to interrupt that, to interrupt all the noise, all the regiments, all the demands, all the pressures, to interrupt it. Crank up the music you love. Little John Cusack holding the boombox of the music of heaven outside of your heart. And Jesus wants to sweep you off your feet and remind you, I got you. I love you. And I'm going to take care of everything. This is not riding on you. I take the burden. You just enjoy my unconditional love and all the amazing gifts that this grace provides for you. Because it is finished.